Verse 1, chapter 22. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the feast, but they would not come. And he said to other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest of seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were not, uh, those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Well, I just skipped half of our text that we're going to be preaching on. Go back to chapter 21. (laughs) Chapter 21, verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders came up to him, and he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will speak, I will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will tell us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they, are, they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he said to the first, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But after, afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same And he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? The first, Jesus said to them. Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors, prostitutes, go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he said his, sent his servants to the tenants to get fruit, and the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he said, sent other servants more than the first, and they, they did the same. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. 
and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, given to a people producing fruit. And the, the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. The one, who, uh, the one it falls on, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And then what comes after that is the first parable that I read to you. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us this morning as we study his word. Father, we do ask that you come into this place through the Holy Spirit. You are present. You are here. Speak to us. Teach us these things. Teach us your truths. I pray, God, that you would uh, bring Christ near to us through your word that we would experience Jesus this morning. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I left the church because it's filled with hypocrites. You ever heard anybody say that? I left the church because it's filled with hypocrites. What do you do when you encounter religious fakes? Do you leave? Do you leave Jesus? Do you reject him? Or maybe if we're honest, maybe some of us have some tendencies which lead us to hypocrisy. Are you a fake? I want to talk to you this morning on this theme, the fakes and the faithful. The fakes and the faithful. Who are the fakes? The fakes are rejectors of Christ. They are gossips. They're angry. They say one thing and do another. They've got a great profile on social media, yet their inward lives stink. They have secrets that they would never tell you. Who are the fakes? What do we make of them? What do we make of the fakes? Do we let them just discourage us? Turn, turn us away from Christ? Do we let them just lead us to simply saying, ah, it's all, it's all fake? It's all plastic. Nobody's genuine. Nobody's real. Nobody has a genuine love. Listen, I want to talk to you today about the fakes and the faithful and show you that Jesus Christ was rejected by the fakes of his day. Look at this passage that Jesus applies to himself in verse 42. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus says, I am the chief cornerstone. I am the rock upon which you must build your life, and these fakes that I'm dealing with are, re are the ones who are rejecting the cornerstone. We've been in this book of Matthew. 
we've seen the religious establishment come up against Jesus time after time. Last week in particular, we saw Jesus come in into Jerusalem. This was known as his triumphal entry. What was he doing? He was flipping tables. He pulled out a whip, right? He's, he's, he's turning over the religious establishment on its head. And now, in the last week of his life, he is, he's coming uh, full steam ahead to his own rejection by the religious establishment. Listen, I want you to wrap your mind around this and put yourself into the first century context for just a moment. The religious leaders that you look up to and look for guidance are about to completely wholesale reject Jesus Christ. What is that going to do in your soul? What are his followers supposed to think when the religious leaders that are the ones who are entrusted with the Torah are rejecting Christ and saying he's not the Messiah. Believe me, he's not the one you think he is. He's not the Christ. We must kill him. What would that do in your own soul? Listen, I believe, and this is why we're tying all three of these parables together. I think Jesus is making one big point with these three parables. Jesus is giving these three parables to his people as a way to say, look, I know that they're fakes. I see through them. They're fakes. This is their destiny. Nobody's surprised by this. God isn't surprised by this. God prophesied that these fakes would come. And I think he gives us and gives his followers these three parables to show us the fate of the fakes. To show us who they are and to show us their fate. What I want to do, I want to, I want to look at these three parables, and I want to kind of try to paint for you a picture of who the fakes are in each one of the parables. All right, so we're going to have three pictures of the fakes. And also, each parable shows us an image of their fate. So I'm going to give you a picture of who they are, and I'm going to give you their fate. You guys tracking with me? So we're getting into these three parables. First one right here. It's in, uh, in, in the first verses that we, that we read. Well, first, let me back up, actually. If you look at verses 23 through 27, here are these Pharisees. Everybody say Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. Remember that word. The Pharisees are asking Jesus where he gets his authority from to do this. To do what? Probably to turn over the tables in the temple. Who do you think you are? Where do you get this kind of authority over the temple? And so Jesus then like asks him these questions. Well, where did John? He stumps him really. The point of that passage right there, of those verses, is to show us that the fakes, the Pharisees, the religious establishment is in complete denial as to who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, look, even these prostitutes and these tax collectors, they get it. And you've seen fruit in their life. And even after you've seen it, you still don't believe. The fakes are in denial. And then Jesus then gives us these three parables. So let's look at the first parable. It's in verses 28 
through 32. And what we see from this first parable is this. The fakes look good on the outside, but inwardly they are evil. The fakes look good on the outside, but inwardly they are evil. And their fate, I'll give it to you right now, the screw-ups enter the kingdom and they do not. The fakes look good on the outside, but inwardly there is nothing there. The Queen Mary was the largest ship in 1938 when it was launched out to sea. And for 40 years, the Queen Mary was at work on, on the ocean. Finally, the ship was retired in Long Beach, California, and it was going to be turned into a hotel. As they were turning the ship into a hotel, they took down the three huge smokestacks that were on the ship, and they took them down uh, onto the dock to scrape them and to repaint them. As they were scraping the smokestacks, what they realized was that the quarter-inch steel that the smokestacks were made out of had, had completely rusted away. And there was nothing there but 30 coats of paint. Listen, there are too many Christians out there who've got nothing but religious paint. I was speaking with a pastor from another country, and he said, you know, when I talk to pastors here in America, he says it's like they have layer after layer after layer after layer of fluff. You just got to like peel through these, this, these layers of fluff. And you know what my concern is? Is that with a lot of Christians, after we peel through all of that, those layers of hallelujahs and amens and religiosity, that we'll find nothing there. Nothing. Look great on the outside. But when we're pressed and when we're scraped, there's nothing there. That's the, that's the point of this parable, this, this parable of these, these two sons. It's, it's actually kind of a, a, a summary of the prodigal son parable. Two sons. The first son, or they're both asked to do work, all right? Equal opportunity. Father comes to both of them, well, got a job for you, do some work. The first son was like me growing up. He says, nah, <laughs> don't want to. Don't feel like it. The first son is initially disobedient to the father. The second son says, absolutely, whatever you want, Dad, I got you. But then as it all plays out, what happens? The second son, who says absolutely, the second son doesn't do anything. Just goes off and does his own thing. The first son, maybe, maybe conviction sets in. He starts, maybe he sees his dad out in the field working by himself. The first son actually repents and gets to work. Jesus is likening these two sons to the Pharisees and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, the drug dealers, the hustlers, the corner boys, those have been locked up. The outcasts of society made some early mistakes and they've fallen on their knees. Conviction has set in and they've turned back to the Father. But the religious fakes, they look good on the outside. 
They say the right thing. They do the right thing. They post the right thing. And there's nothing there. And ultimately, they are in disobedience to the Father. Verse 32, we see that the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they believe They received the message from John the Baptist and they believed it. And even after the fakes saw the fruit that's produced in the the lives of these prostitutes, they still reject and deny the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The fakes come across as saviors, but they stink. The fakes come across as faithful, but they are frauds. And you see it in their private lives when you look closely. You see it in the trail of broken relationships that they've left behind them. You see it in their relationships. You see it in their marriages. You see it in their work. Oh, they love to talk about the economic disparity between the rich and the poor, but inwardly they hate the poor and they see themselves as superior. Oh, they love to talk about God, but that's only when God seems to be working for them as a genie in a bottle. And when God stops working for them, they question and they get frustrated and they walk away. Listen, do you focus on your outer appearance or do you focus on Jesus Christ? Are like... Honestly, when you think of your religious walk, all that you do that you consider to be part of your religious walk, does the majority of it have to do with a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, or does the majority of it have to do with your outer appearance, how people perceive you, what people think of you, and you know if you're honest with yourself and it keeps you awake at, at, at night at times because you know that you're plastic. You know that you look good on the outside, but inwardly there is nothing there. Listen, friends, outer appearance of religiosity will never save you. Oh, we stand before God. Look at all that I've done for you. I never knew you. The church is made up of the broken. Prostitutes and tax collectors are symbols of us. Symbols of those of us who say, we are nothing without Christ. We are broken. We've got nothing to offer externally. And we come to him in faith. How is it possible that a prostitute could come to Christ? How is it possible that a tax collector can come to Christ? This is how. It's because they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are clothed in his righteousness. They say, I have nothing of my own to offer God. There's nothing about me that God would accept. I need the goodness of Christ. And they take on his robe, and his robe is pure, and it's white, and they wear his clothes, and they stand before the Father, accepted as the Son. Listen, friends, don't let the hypocrites keep you from Jesus. Don't let the fakes keep you from the one who saves sinners. The fate of the fakes, as I said here in this parable, is that the tax collectors and the prostitutes in verse 32 
enter the, or verse 31, they enter the kingdom before, before you, he says. Before you. That indicates, by the way, that the doors are wide open. And the, 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 the spiritual frauds just simply don't go in. Second parable. In verses 38 through 41, we see a parable of this vineyard. And here, the main point of this is that the fakes destroy the servants of God. This is sort of like the the next layer of depravity. Not only are they outwardly beautiful, but inwardly uh, atrocious. But they also destroy those who are true servants of God. And in our context today, that might not be physical, but it might be with words. It might be with gossip. There were a couple murderers burying a body in, uh, in a woods, in a wooded area. Um, a man walking through the woods with a flashlight in the middle of the night, not looking for him, stumbled upon these criminals. And with his flashlight, shone a big bright light on these four men with shovels in their hand and a body being lowered into a hole. Can you imagine what happened next? You know the best way to get yourself hurt? It's to shine a light on wickedness, on evil. What does the Bible call Christians? What's that? Light. Sounds dangerous, doesn't it? What we see in this parable is that the fakes destroy the servants of God because they shine light on them. They point out, not necessarily through the words, but just simply through their presence, wickedness. Looking at this parable, there's, this is a parable about a vineyard. There's a king, a master, who plants a vineyard, and then he, uh, he moves, and he gets some tenants to work the vineyard for him. And at harvest time, the master sends servants to the vineyard to collect the fruit from the vineyard, right? And when the servants get there, what do the tenants of the vineyard do to the servants? They destroy them. They kill them. He sends another group of servants. Doesn't, maybe he doesn't know what happened. They never came back. Go get the fruit from the tenants. The this, this second group of servants, they show up, and what happens? They kill them. Finally, the master says, all right, I, I think I'm picking up on what's going on here. I'm going to send my own son because I know that they won't kill him. The master sends his own son to get, pick up the fruit. And when he arrives, the tenants say, ah, this is, this is the son. He's the heir. Let's kill him and let's take all that he has. And they destroy the son 
what do we see here? We see Jesus pointing out to these religious hypocrites that in all reality, you are destroying the servants of God. As I'm sending the servants to you, you are destroying them. And I think he's making another point that the obedient son was sent and he became the rejected son. You're rejecting the son. You're rejecting the Christ, you Pharisees. The fakes destroy the servants of God. And this is a theme throughout the scripture. In the book of Hosea, chapter 9, verse 7, the prophet Hosea, as he's, a, as he's speaking against Israel, and as Israel is, by the way, rejecting him, Hosea says in 9-7, he says, but people of Israel say, the prophet is a fool. He goes on in verse 8, he says, and the people hate the prophet, even in the house of God, even in the temple, the people are hating on the prophet that God has sent. And this continues as a theme in Scripture, and we get to Isaiah chapter 53, And we see that there's going to be another one sent. There's another prophet that will be sent. And it says about him, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with with the bitterest kind of grief. We turn our backs on him, and we looked the other way when he went by, despised. And we did not care. The servants of God are destroyed. Jesus Christ himself as the chief servant is destroyed by the Pharisees, rejected. And Christians, today you will be rejected and in some ways destroyed by the fakes. Let me ask you this. Oh, you light of the world, are you willing to take the consequences of what it means to be light Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing to be destroyed? If you're not a Christian here, one thing I want you to know is that you know a true believer by the way that they endure persecution. The servants of God are persecuted and destroyed. The fate here of the fakes is that they are crushed. I want you to look at verse 44. Well, verse 24, 42, rather, we see, uh, we see this cornerstone. Jesus as the cornerstone. He is the foundational rock on which the rest of the house is built. Do you guys have that image in your head? Keep that there. And then what he says in verse 44 is he says, the person who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, and, and when it, the stone, falls on anybody, it will crush him. What does it mean? What he's saying is is that there's going to be some who trip over Christ. And there are going to be some who try to dismantle Christ from his high position. Now, I think the image changes, and now we have a stone high up on the wall. And he's saying either way you slice the cake, you're going to be crushed, you're going to be destroyed. The one who trips over Christ, meaning I can't handle his authority. I didn't see him coming. He's he's asking me to do things that I am not willing to do with my life, and we're tripping over him. What he's saying is, is you're not hurting Christ by tripping over him, but as you trip over this rock, it says you will be broken into pieces. 
and the one who tries to dismantle the rock from its high place, meaning we try to bring Jesus down from his position as God. We try to bring him down from his position as Savior, as the light of the world, as the hope of the world. We dismantle him from that position. As that stone falls on us, we will be crushed. The fate of the fakes here in this parable is that they are destroyed. Now, I love verse 45. Uh, The chief priests, you see that, and the Pharisees, when they hear this parable, it says they perceived that he was speaking about them. I love that. (laughs) Just like a little insight, narrative insight into the text. Hmm. I think he's talking about me. You guys see why they put him on the cross, right? It's heating up. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming at the religious establishment full steam ahead. 60 miles an hour. Head-on collision. They perceive that he's talking about them. And then he doesn't stop. But he goes on. says, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. He just continues to sink it deeper. He gives them a third parable. This third parable shows us that the fakes have their own agenda. They've got their own agenda. Meaning their agenda is not the agenda of God. It's not the agenda of Christ. And their fate is that they miss the privilege of the wedding feast. You'll see this. So we have this wedding feast parable that's given. And by the way, it reminds me here of Mary and Martha. Do you guys know that story? Like if you have any experience growing up in church, you've probably heard the story as a child. Mary and Martha, I'll tell it to you really quick in case you don't know it. Mary and Martha have a visit from Jesus. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's Martha doing? Come on, somebody help me. She's in the kitchen cooking, getting ready for lunch. And uh, Martha comes out and rebukes Mary, like, would you get back here and help me in the kitchen? Uh, Jesus then rebukes Martha, and he says, Mary's chosen the better. She's sitting right here at my feet. Now, I always thought, like, man, Martha gets the short end of the stick in that, per- in that story. Like, somebody's got to make lunch, right? <laughs> somebody's got to eat. Like, she's trying to be so hospitable. She's trying to be nice. She's working hard, and Mary's just sitting out there listening to Jesus. Those of you who have been in kitchens before, don't you kind of resonate with Martha a little bit? Listen, I don't think the point of Jesus' rebuke there is to say that it's actually wrong to prepare lunch or to be hospitable when a guest comes over. That's not what he's saying. He's using Mary and Martha as symbols of the religious establishment and the true believer. He uses them as a lesson. You see, Martha, the point is, she's busy, she's working hard, but all the while she's missing Jesus. She's doing so much. She's doing what she thinks is the right thing, but all the while she's missing Jesus. He's in the house. He's right there, and she's in the kitchen, missing him. 
Here in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 22, we see that there's another parable. This is a parable of the wedding. A king is putting on a wedding, and it's ready. The celebration is, is uh, ready. And so he sends out a servant to tell the invited guests to come and to enjoy the feast. And those who are invited don't come. They ignore the servants. He sends them out again. Like, he's like, look, I've slaughtered the fatted calf. Like, everything's ready. I've, I've gone to great length to prepare this. I've got to celebrate with somebody. Go tell them again. It's ready. Tell them to come to the feast. So the servants go out a, third, uh, a second time, and, and they tell them, it's, it's ready. He's saying, come. And this time, uh, they, they again ignore the servants, but it gives us a little more detail. It says that one of them goes off to his farm. Another one goes off to his own business. And then even some others seize the servants and kill them. Sort of like, you are bothering us. You know, it's like that telemarketer, you just got another call, and it's a good thing that there's a lot of distance between these two phones. I'm just so frustrated with your continuing continue to barrage me with these messages. And they seize the servants, and they kill them. Here's what we see here. The point of the fakes is that the fakes are doing so much. They have so many agendas. They've got businesses. They've got farms. They've got... Uh, uh, they've, they've, they've got... Um, stuff going on. But all the while, they're missing the feast. They're missing the wedding. I think the point of this is to show us that in our religious hypocrisy, we can do so much in the kitchen of this world, if you would, and miss Jesus. The fakes could be doing so many religious deeds and all the while they don't have time for Jesus serving together they're, they're, they're gathering there's, there's music playing there's great performances the preacher's shouting on stage but the Holy Spirit's not moving through the church and all the while they're missing Jesus Working hard, feeding the poor, tutoring children, doing so many wonderful deeds around the country and around the globe, but all the while they are missing Jesus. Pulling out their theology books and reading and, and studying and debating doctrine, but all the while they're missing Jesus. working hard to provide for the family, to save for the future, doing good things, but missing Jesus in the process. Trying to live a good life, trying to, trying to live a safe life. And missing Jesus. Listen, friends, are you too busy for Jesus? Are you doing so much in your life and all the while you're just missing him? You've got a lot going on and you've got no time 
for Jesus. The fate of the fake in this case is that they miss the party. They miss out on the wedding feast. And by the way, let's just pause for a moment and recognize that heaven, heaven meets earth, the recreation, our eternal state is described as a wedding feast. Isn't that beautiful? Like so often we sort of think of heaven as being this ethereal place with harps, right? And I don't even like harps. And I don't like the idea of sitting on a cloud, being in church all the time. (laughs) No, No, heaven is described as a place with streets, roads, trees, houses, with food and with wine and with singing where there are no tears and there's no boredom there's no decay there's no death this is what we're invited to listen if you're not a Christian your invitation to Christianity this morning is an invitation to a party we are inviting you to the greatest party that you'll ever know This is what you're coming to. And you know that the church is is just a mere foretaste of it. Like we get together and we're just kind of of reminded of of the reality of what's to come, that there is a party that is going to come. Where we're going to sing and where we're going to dance, where we're going to eat, where we're going to drink. And friends, the fakes miss it. Because they've got so many other things going on. Because Jesus doesn't seem appealing enough for them. Because in this moment, their business and their farm or whatever it is seems to be a better option than going to the party. What is your passion in life? Does it line up with the invitation that you've received in the mail? Are you going to accept the invitation to the wedding feast? Are you going to come to the party? Now, how how do we do it? Let me remind you. How do we come? Because we have to be honest. We look at ourselves and we recognize I'm not ready for the party. I don't have any clothes for the party. How do we do it? By the way, I, I was just, yesterday I was invited to a very fancy dinner party. And so I'm putting my suit on I realize... I don't have any dress shoes. I left my dress shoes in Florida last week. So I put high tops on. All right? Like this terrible moment when we realize I've got this invitation, but I don't have the right clothing to wear. How can I go to the wedding feast of heaven wearing what I'm wearing? This is how righteousness is described as clothing. The righteousness of Christ is described as our clothing. Listen, we take off the rags of our own righteousness. We remove them as quickly as we can, and we put on his robe. We put on his clothing, and we now are able and free and prepared and ready to go to the party. That's how you get there. You believe, you turn, and you trust. And he gives you new clothing. 
He gives you his own righteousness. He gives you a new heart. Friends, have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you ever taken off the clothing of your own righteousness and put on his robe of righteousness? Have you trusted that his clothing is enough to get you in? Has you, have you trusted that his blood is enough to forgive you of your sins? Trust him now. Turn to him now and come in. Join us at the party. The third parable ends with a sobering note. Look at, let's just read, read it, verses 11 through 14. It says that when the king came in, now this is referring to those who are now at the party. The king came in to look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. There are some who have come into the party and have never put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They've never had a new heart. And they ultimately will be put out. This is a sobering thought for all of us. To examine our own hearts. Is there one in here who has been a fake? Is there one in who, who, who is convicted by this and you realize, I am the one who has come to the party, but I'm not wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ? This is the one who's been in the church. They've attended, they've showed up, they sang, they've shouted, they've loved, they've fellowshiped, they've shook hands, they've been to all the potlucks, they go to Bible studies, they're in a community group, they even joined the church as a member, they were baptized, but they never had a new heart. Take off your rags and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God, give us a new heart. Give me a new heart. Change us, oh God. Transform us so that we might be fit for heaven. Who do you trust in this morning? Are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? The fakes here we see in these parables Focus on the outside, but inwardly they are wicked. They destroy the servants of God, and they have their own agenda. And as a result, the fakes never enter the kingdom of God. They are destroyed by the rock, and they ultimately miss the, para, uh, uh, the, the party. The son is the obedient son who is the rejected son, who then becomes the honored son at the feast. And the faithful are those 
who began with repentance, they turn to him, Christ, as the one who brings in the kingdom of God, and then they live their lives in obedience to the Father. And all who come, all who come, all of the tax collectors and all of the prostitutes and all of the hustlers and all of the, 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 the pornographers and all of the cheats and all of the proud and all of the gossips, all who come to Christ will by no means be cast out. Come to him this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For this text, we thank you for the teaching of Jesus Christ to show us the fate of the fakes so that we might know, test our own hearts, look at our own clothing and determine whether or not we are faithful. God, we pray that we will trust not ourselves to make us faithful, but that we will trust the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.